0: That's right.
1: That's right. shh it's the film flamers hey everybody i'm robert
2: and i'm chris and we're the film flamers this time we are counting down robert's picks for the top 10 horror novels possibly of all time <laughs>
1: <laughs> or at least in my opinion of all time. I uh, yeah. uh, recently on a shooting the flames episode, we got a question from at Mario asking about horror books, and I know that we also have some other voracious reader listeners. So I'm looking at UJ Carbon, and um, I also am an avid reader, and I. Most of the time, ninety percent of the time, if I'm reading something, it's genre-based. So mm-hmm. these are some books that I like very much that I think that you should check out. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we get started, and I can judge you. <laughs> All right, I'm ready for the judging. Uh, so my number ten horror book is called House of Leaves. It was published in 2000, and it's written by Mark Z. Danielewski. Also known as Poe's brother. Poe's brother. That's right. And it has a tie-in pop song by Poe. (laughs) It has a tie-in album, actually, which is one of the reasons why I really like this book a lot. So, okay, for those of you who haven't heard of House of Leaves, it is this massive, just really difficult-to-get-through undertaking of a book book. Yeah, but it's amazing to look at. Yes, it's amazing to look at, and it's amazing to figure out as you read it. it It's quite a chore. So uh, there's lots of footnotes that seem to go on forever and tell their own story. There are letters that are involved, and there's sort of like three different stories that are going on in this. And there's also a tie-in album by Poe. So there's a lot to unpack when it comes to House of Leaves, and it really took me a very long time to get through, which is something that is um, not doesn't happen to me very often i usually finish books pretty quickly uh but so this book is about a man who sort of discovers this manuscript um of someone talking about a investigation of a house that is sort of growing from the inside but not the outside and everything that leads up to it it also Mm -hmm. talks about the guy's life who discovered the manuscript and there's just a really there's a lot of stuff going on um it has some like horror undertones to it it's not very scary right but i mean like once you get the the rhythm down of like reading the story and following the footnotes and maybe going back and forth between the letters that are at the end and you know listening to some of the post songs and like checking the indices and shit like that like it really is some sort of like scholarly undertaking of a horror book to read you have you read this no but i've thumbed through it <laughs> And sometimes that's enough to even like put you off the book entirely, right? Like I, I I like this a lot, and when I read it in 2000, I was 20 years old, and I was for sure that this book would be studied like in colleges and like universities the world round. And I mean, it may or may not. Like I'm not in college anymore, so I don't know. But uh, it's it's an interesting book, and if you have a good like six months, I suggest you pick it up and make your way through it. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm um and you specifically i think you would like this book quite a bit what's number nine number nine on my list is a classic um it's the turn of the screw published in 1898 by henry james and this is one of the ghost stories that's the basis for the upcoming blind manor on netflix and um i just love it a lot this is one of my Mm -hmm. favorite things um I had to read it in college when we were doing British literature and I had never read it before and I was sort of like, you know, astounded by the level of like gothic ghost story that was going on in it. I had never seen the movie The Innocents or knew anything about Turn of the Screw really and it just quickly became like one of my favorite horror stories. It's really short to get through and Henry James is a great author and I think that this is just a prime example of some of his best work. Okay. And of course, we're
2: getting Blind Manor in a number of really days when this episode drops, I think.
1: That's right. I think it comes out on October the 9th. And so, like, it should be out by the time this episode is out. And we're going to be talking about Blind Manor at the end of the month, I think, correct? So, yes. That's enough time for you to get an audible copy of Turn of the Screw and listen to it. It should take you a matter of hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Number eight on my list is another sort of like classic horror story, um, and it is Rosemary's Baby, published in 1967 by Ira Levin. Of course. This is something that we talked about on an episode of the film Flamers um, in our sort of like first quote unquote season, right? Mm -hmm. It was hard for me to sort of like pick an Ira Levin novel, I wanted to put him on my list for sure because he's a really great horror author and I've read a lot of his work. So I went back and forth between like this and the Stepford Wives and like Sliver and but ultimately Rosemary's Baby I think is his best novel and um, a really really good faithful adaptation of a movie, right? So it's, it's a very good book. I think that you can feel the paranoia in Rosemary in the book a lot more than you can in the movie. And it's just um, a really good story with really good characters in it. So number seven is a more recent book, um, and it's from 2015. It's called A Head Full of Ghosts written by Paul Tremblay, and he is one of my more favorite recent horror authors. He's mm-hmm. uh, put out a number of novels and a collection of short stories at this point. And um, I don't think that anything has been made into a movie yet, which is really bizarre to me because I think the way that he writes and the way that his stories go is v- lends a very like cinematic approach. Um, <clears throat> this particular book is about possession. Possession. And the question of whether or not somebody's actually possessed or mentally ill. Yeah. It's sort of like told from the point of view of the possessed person's younger sister and what their family is going through. But there's another really good tie into this book too, because it talks about media and reality television in a way that I think that a possession story hasn't really, you know, been talked about before. And I think that's Good. I think in this day and age, if somebody were to come out and say they were possessed, of course we'd get some sort of reality television show. And that's what happens in this book. This family is sort of like subject to cameras coming in and recording their every move while they're trying to realize whether or not their daughter is possessed or mentally ill. And, um, you know, they're doing all this because they're trying to get some money because the family's on like the cusp of financial ruin. And the book sort of goes back and forth between the narrator as a young child and as an adult, and sort of recounting her, you know, experiences with her sister and how she acted. And I think it's just a really, really good way to have a conversation about how we viewed possession in the past, how we view possession now, and from a like mental health versus religious aspect. And I missed mean, the first book by Paul Tremblay that I really, really liked, and he has another book that was released a couple years ago with uh, a gay couple two men Mm -hmm. and a daughter and they're like sort of being held captive and i mean like he is a really good voice in horror literature currently and once they start like pumping these movies out they're gonna be great i know stephen king put a head full of ghosts on one of his like top lists and he said it even scared him and so i mean If Stephen King says that, you know, it's gotta be worth a read. Yeah. So my number six book is something that's been out for a long time and it's you know, a movie's been made of it and people have seen it, and it's The Silence of the Lambs.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> From nineteen eighty franchise. No. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's written by Thomas Harris and he has a whole franchise of books, right? So yep. he wrote Red Dragon and then Silence of the Lambs and then Hannibal, Hannibal and Hannibal Rising and all those things, right? Um, and out of all those books, I really think that Silence of the Lambs is probably his best. This is something that I read um, when I was sort of a very young teenager, preteen, um, back when I was just getting whatever like horror paperback I'd get my hands on and read. And of course, I had already seen the movie of Silence of the Lambs by the time I read the book. But um, it's so incredibly different, and you get um, a little better sense of who Clarice is as a character than you do in the movie, and they already do a really good job of that. But they just add so much to the story, and there's so much more of Hannibal and so much more of Buffalo Bill, and it's really quite a frightening and graphic kind of book. Now, was
2: Silence of the Lambs the first novel that he did in that series – no red dragon was the first one that's what i was thinking and so i was just like at first you might think that he was trying to capitalize on the success mm-hmm. of sounds of the lambs but no red dragon came out first and i think it was actually made into a movie first before right. Silence of the lambs right mm-hmm.
1: manhunter yes it Man came Hunter. out in the uh, mid 80s right yeah so, so that tells you
2: the the quality of the series and the writing mm-hmm. obviously
1: and I, mean, I've, I read the rest of the books in the series, and I, I can't say that it gets any better after Sons of the Lambs. I think Red Dragon and Sons of the Lambs are very, very good. And once you get into, like, Hannibal, which was meh, and Hannibal right. Rising, which was worse, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, I've had enough of this particular character. And it wasn't until the Hannibal TV series that, you know, I think it sort of, like, sparked a different version of Hannibal, right? I think he sort of, like, reached the end of his course with that character in writing. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sounds of the Lambs is a very, very good book. If you've seen the movie and you liked it and you think that the book is not going to offer you anything extra, right? It does. It's a very, it's a faithful adaptation, but um, the book is just leaps and bounds good and scary. Very, very scary. Yeah. Number five on my list is the first of a possible couple entries by this particular author, and uh, <laughs> hmm. it's <laughs> The Long Walk. It was written in 1979, the year of my birth, <laughs> by Stephen King, although it was published first under his pseudonym Richard Bachman. What? He chose Richard Bachman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Buckman Turner Overdrive. Stephen King um, is such
2: a branded name now that's just so hard to believe, you know?
1: Yeah, at the time that he would just like write under something else, right? I love some of the stories that he tells about his early writing career, about how he wrote Carrie and thought that he was not interpreting the female characters very well. So he threw it in the trash. And his wife came out and she pulled it out and read it and said, nope. Do not throw this away. Like, hold on to it for a minute, right? I mean, so his career probably was saved by his wife. And Carrie was sort of the first book that like sort Mm of thrust him into, like, pop culture, right? Mm -hmm. But he was writing these short novels um, under the name Richard Bachman and publishing them in other places and lots of other short fiction. And this one is particularly good to me. I like it. It's sort of set in this dystopian future where there's a national competition or game where people have to walk from the northernmost tip of Maine to the southernmost tip of Florida, like walk it. And if you stop walking for a certain period of time, you get like a warning. And then the next time you do it, you get injured. And like the third time you do it, you get shot and so people are competing in this cuz they have no other option right they they need the money they need to live and it's just something that's televised and people watch it and it's it's a big deal the book itself as scary as it is to think about like has a lot of really good human drama and interaction like people you're becoming friends on the long walk or becoming enemies and trying to win. And I always thought when I was younger that this would make just the most fantastic sort of like horror sci-fi movie. And it just hasn't been made yet. There's been some talk recently that the film was going to be made and I forget who the director they announced, but I mean, like in this day and age of COVID who knows what's going to happen with these projects. Yeah. So. This is another really short read that you could like either read or listen to and it's it's very, very good. I'm surprised there there isn't more like horror about
2: that because there's murders all the time on like the Appalachian Trail, you know?
1: Well, yeah, and this was like I mean it's sort of like a more like Tour de France televised event, right? But yeah, I I, I think that it's kind of like pre-hunger games, right? You know, if you want to think about it in that particular sense. But yeah, no, I think this is something that you should definitely check out, especially if you're fans of Stephen King who haven't read some of his earlier work, especially some of these Bachman books. Like go go check it out, pick them up. It's they're very, very good. Sounds like it. So moving on into number 4, I think that out of all the books that are on my list, this is the most horror adjacent. And I don't know if like, you know, readers or fans of this novel will come at me for this or not but i really consider this to be a horror novel and that is the lord of the flies written in 1954 by william golding yeah it's morality horror right i mean like it's when i I read this book in the ninth grade and it really really affected me and I just I, I loved the characters so much. I think that it was one of the first times in a English class that we got to talk about like symbolism and theme and structure. And it, I really felt like a grown up reader reading this book. Does that make sense? hmm. And it just stuck with me. And I've read it several times since high school. And it's always so truly frightening to see what these kids become when they're left to their own devices and how quickly they separate and sort of form these cliques, like really deadly cliques and have like little regard for each other's lives. And it's just really, really scary. I've seen a couple movie versions of this. Um, One, my favorite being like from like the early 90s. Yeah, I think that's the one I've seen. And um, it, it it is a scary movie to watch. I just I don't think that it does the justice. So that the book does it really really shows you just like, how quickly things can escalate. Yeah. Given to like their own devices, and so I, out of all the books on my list, this is the one that I would like you know listeners who have read it to come and say like if you think it's a horror book or not. To me, I don't know how you could not call it a horror novel, but I'm sure there are some people who would call it like a drama or whatever you know, but. To me, Lord of the Flies is just truly, truly frightening. What's your number three? Number three on my list is World War Z, written by Max Brooks and published in 2006. But of course. (laughs) I loved the fuck out of this book when I read it. This book is so, like, rabidly loved. Yeah. I think, um, (laughs) even, like, horror fans who don't normally read, I think, have picked up World War Z at some point, um... I think, like, the voice in this book is so good because there's so many of them, right? It's, like, the zombie plague as told by everybody across the world and different nations' responses to it and how, like, humanity tries to overcome the problem. And it's it's so, so good. I read it in print first. There was a year, probably around the time that I met you, um, I my, my New Year's resolution was read 100 novels in that year. And I finished it, right. I've read all hundred books and this was one of them. And I just, I loved it so much. I could not stop talking about how good it was. And, and not just because I like zombies, you know, and, but I really enjoyed just like the different, like national perspectives and what was going on from like their, their perspective or a military perspective. There's a lot, lot going on. And then I listened to the audiobook. It's also very good because each story is told from a different actor and it just adds a whole lot of depth to it. And and then I watched the movie. Yeah, it's it's a better audiobook than a, a like a reading book. Like just listen to it. It's a much, much better story. It's like a radio drama. I've heard that. But um then the movie came out and I was just like, oh, this is nothing like the book. Yeah, it's still a good movie. And I and I keep thinking that they're going to
2: announce some sort of miniseries for World War Z because I feel like that's the proper format to do it for screen at least.
1: I completely agree with you. And I hope that they would do something like that in the future. Um, So he, Max Brooks had another book come out It's sort of like short stories about the zombie plague, uh, which I haven't read. And then he recently had a book come out called devolution, which is about some sort of Sasquatch attack. After Mount Rainier erupts and um, it was also a good book and written in a very similar fashion. Just not not as good, but it's, it's already been optioned for a film. So I know whatever this man does is going to become a movie. I mean, look who his dad is, you know, so.
2: So we're, we're getting deep into your top three. What's what's the next one? What's the
1: what's the number two? Okay, S- Number two has to be it. Written by Stephen King and published in 1986. (laughs) (laughs) It has to be be number two. Um, Yeah. I was like, okay, but what is it? I fucking love it. It is one of the biggest novels that I've ever read. Mm -hmm. And I read it in the fourth grade. So this was actually the second Stephen King book that I ever like purchased and read. And, I probably shouldn't have been reading it in the fourth grade. Like a lot of things were lost on me and I had to pick it back up later on in middle school and read it again. And then I sort of understood like what it was about. I think that you really have to have at least some years under your belt before you pick up this particular novel, not just for its like themes, but just to understand what it's like to have gone through a period of childhood, right? And um, it's just a really good book with really great characters and a really good villain, and and it's very scary and very cinematic. And there's lots of talk about like you know classic horror and horror movies and how it affects you as a child and you know how it feels to have a group of friends that you don't connect with later on in life. And I mean, it's just really, really good, but very, very long. Like it takes a very long time to get through yeah. it. And, but it's worth it, you know? However, in like Stephen King fashion, he doesn't end things very well all the time. And to me, wow, wow. it is just one of those times that the ending is sort of just phoned in and, you know. But apparently, if you start reading some other things like the Dark Tower series, they give you some insight into what it is. Like, I think that creature makes an appearance somewhere in those books. I haven't read the Dark Tower series because it's a little bit, you know, sci-fi fantasy, but... It's um it's getting to the point where this that's some of the only Stephen King that I haven't read or listened to so I'm going to have go. to do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. You don't have an inclination or let's say a proclivity for sci-fi and fantasy but often when I show them to you you do enjoy
0: them. That's true. Bit, so.
1: And I like I I have to just like step away from that and I have to remember how much I love Stephen King as an author. <clears throat> I really think that his work is some of the best like literature That we have now. I think that he's an amazing author. I think he has an amazing voice. And I mean, he has a writing style that's so similar across all of his novels. And, you know, I think, you know, 100 years from now, when we're looking back at, you know, books, novels that have been published in this time period, just like we look back to Henry James, I think that we're going to look at Stephen King and just finally realize how prolific of an author he is and how really good he is at his craft. Oh, yeah. So.
2: Well, the Dark Tower series is one of the most beloved of his, you know, books or at least series. And, um, you know, I definitely think that you will enjoy that when you pick that up.
1: Yeah, I know. It's going to be one of those undertakings. I think that may have to be a uh, another New Year's resolution. So not read 100 novels, but make it through the Dark Tower series, because right now I think it's up to like seven or eight books. And some of those get pretty thick as well. So well, it also makes sense that you would finish with
2: that because people that read Dark Tower and nothing else aren't gonna get all the references because it's kind of the nexus of, of Stephen King's multiverse, right. right? Literally. And so you're gonna see a lot of familiar faces. Mm-hmm. I think you of all people will get the most out of it.
1: I think so too. And I I, I need to do it. I in fact, in my Audible account, I've already purchased, you know, using my credits or whatever, the first three books, but they've been in my library for well over a year or two years. I just haven't listened to them yet, you know? I will go through Mm -hmm. Audible and just, like, purchase books and then forget that I even purchased them sometimes and have to go back and, like, see what's in my library, so... But with that discussion of Stephen King, I think it's appropriate to move into my number one choice. And this is sort of a tie and a cop out. I don't know what you want to call it. So we'll just cop out. (laughs) Yeah, that that works. (laughs) So um, essentially, I'm talking about the short fiction of Stephen King. So short stories that he's written over the years. And he has done this a lot. He used to get published in men's magazines like Hustler, Playboy, you know, Cavalier. Okay. It's less of a cop out now. And uh, he put a lot of these stories into two very specific short story collections, and he's put out more since then. But these are Night Shift, published in 1978, and Skeleton Crew, published in 1985. And these are two very long tomes of different short fiction from Stephen King. And a lot of these titles are very recognizable. Things like The Mist, Children of the Corn, The Mangler. All these things are in these books, right? Mm. And... Where Stephen King has a problem in his writing where he doesn't know how to finish a novel, he doesn't always have that problem when it comes to his short fiction. Like, his short stories can last up to, like, 40 pages to 100 pages, but they're so satisfying, all of them. And a lot of his short fiction isn't exactly horror. There's a short story called The Reach that's in Skeleton Crew that is sort of about... This woman realizing that she's toward the end of her life and she lives on an island off the coast of Maine. She's never left the island to go to the mainland. And as she's reaching death, she's starting to see these people, these ghosts from her past. And the space of water called the Reach between that island and mainland Maine is frozen over and she walks it and finally makes it to the mainland before she dies. And it's like the most... A satisfying and touching yet like horror adjacent story that I've ever read. I, I can't read it or listen to it without just like bawling. And I, I think that shows mm. you just what kind of an author that Stephen King is. And I mean, he, when it comes to short fiction, he doesn't, hold any punches if he wants to write a science fiction short story he will and it will be very science fiction if he wants to write something that's very dramatic and have very little horror adjacency in it he'll do that if he wants to write something that's completely graphic and horrifying like the children of the corn which is a much different story than the movie right i mean he he has a very short amount of time but i think it's some of his best work yeah and so if you haven't read a Stephen King book or short story of any kind, I really suggest you go pick up either Night Shift or Skeleton Crew and read through it. It will give you an appreciation of him as an author very quickly. And it I mean, like everyone's seen some of these adaptations that have been made from it, and it'll give you a good idea as to how different a short story can be from a 90 minute movie. So that's my top 10 for sure. Well, I think that's a very solid top 10, I must say.
2: Thank you I like it I have some books to read
1: <laughs> it took me a long time to make this list because I, I I'm a pretty avid reader I mean at any given time I'm in the middle of at least one or two books and at this point I don't really read them anymore I listen to them because that's just how I like to you know consume my media but um I was interchanging books throughout the last couple of weeks and trying to figure out what I was going to put in there and where it was going to be placed. I do have a couple of special mentions, and I would like to hear some horror novels that you have read that you liked very much. So, Oh, well, how kind of you. Thank you. Well, I know. I mean, I have to give you a chance to talk about books as well, right? So why don't you tell me some and I'll fill some of mine in too. Okay, so...
2: I I do have to kind of give a a special shout out to H.P. Lovecraft.
1: Okay. Yeah. Right.
2: Because that didn't make it to your top 10, um, probably because it's dry and mostly boring. But (laughs) (laughs) obviously he's responsible for some of the most famous stories and concepts and and basically created cosmic horror, you know, essentially a modern uh, cosmic horror. And uh, The Call of Cthulhu, you know, At the Mountains of Madness, um, The Shadow over Ensmouth, you know, th- these are classic stories and they keep getting made into different like games and movies and TV shows and different things. Right. And we keep seeing like his influence um throughout pop culture and I, I can't have you know any kind of episode on horror literature without mentioning hp lovecraft yeah
1: i mean i, I think that you're right I, I in the recent that i haven't i haven't read a lot of lovecraft i've read a couple of stories uh there was a point where i got like the best of or the complete lovecraft on my kindle and i was picking and choosing and maybe i just chose the wrong stories to start with I have no problem with things being dry and boring. I I love classic literature was, <laughs> and it's yeah, dry was, and boring.
2: But. Honestly, like some of it is and some of it isn't. Like those classic, like Shadow of Innsmouth, Like I'm okay with it, but like Mountains of Madness, to me that was just gold. I really loved it. You know?
1: Yeah, I have I have read that and it's very very good. Lovecraft is always on my list of things to read, right? Because I I know that as a horror fan it's something that I should do right you know because it's canon mm-hmm. and um and I I know that people respect his writing a lot and so th- these are things that are definitely on my list like the dark tower it's just something that I have to make my way to right but you giving it as a recommendation really goes a long way because I, I don't hear outside of like social media no other people that I know like firsthand have read or talk about Lovecraft aside from like you and Matt right sure one of my special mentions is a book by Clive Barker, and I, I kind of wanted to put him in here too. I've read I've read some Clive Barker. He's not always my favorite, um, yeah. And I can't really put my finger on why, but there's a book called The Thief of Always that came out when I was I don't maybe like thirteen or fourteen years old, and I just loved it because it's kind of a really dark fairy tale or fable, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of written for children, and there are some really gnarly illustrations in it and it's just it's very very good and um it's sort of about like a child being approached and making friends with like a demon and it's it's fantastic by far the best barker that i've ever read uh, and he has quite a, a tome of books at this point yeah so, you like barker right you've read some of him
2: yeah uh, and, and uh, honestly if my favorite Barker's is really like that video game I just mentioned, I think in an episode recently uh, called Undying and it was Clive Barker's Undying. And it was a video game that I played in the like early 2000s for PC. And it was uh, just like an excellent horror story to, to play through and, and kind of live and interact with
1: this is another author that i really appreciate the short fiction of i think it's much better than some of his longer work and i'm not saying that stephen king's novels aren't great right but i when it comes to clive barker i prefer shorter doses
2: yeah i feel like he is really good at concepts you know Mm -hmm. versus like stephen king would be a little bit more you know known for his prose yes that's exactly right
1: like right on the nose with that one for sure yeah
2: so for another one of my special mentions that I wanted to bring up is just the things that I read as a kid, you know, Arl Stein and Goosebumps and everything else and kind of first foray into horror. And there's a lot of horror out there for for like children and young adults that people just, you know, either grew up with or even a lot of people don't aren't aware of, you know. And after I, I you know got through Arl Stein, I kind of started Christopher Pike and all of his teenage books, you know, for young adults. And, you know, like Whisper of Death is one of my favorite horror books of all time you know, about it's hard to explain, but basically like four kids wake up and they're the only people that are alive in the world. And that world keeps shrinking with an invisible barrier. Like they're inside of some sort of, you know, giant butterfly jar or something, you know? Ooh. And it's super, super interesting. It's kind of, it, it is kind of Stephen Kingian, mm-hmm. um, as far as like what ends up happening and why it's happening. And, It's uh, super, super intriguing and creepy as hell. And I really want there to be some sort of, you know, movie about that. There's also Monster, you know, um, which, you know, where people just go, you know, their minds just change and they start eating other people. And then they try and pretend that they're not different, you know, and try to exist in society. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're the only person in the world that knows the truth. And you're trying to, like, you know, stop all these monsters and everything. And it was just really, really well done. There's so many other Christopher Pike novels, but then I got into his adult novels, you know, like The Cold One and especially A Season of Passage, which actually made you read uh, about six or seven years ago, at least. That
1: was during my uh, year of a hundred novels. So
2: Yeah, yeah. and there's such an epic, dark fantasy horror novel that it would have to be like if you were going to make it into a movie, it had to be like two or three movies, <laughs> like to really do it right. For like, sure,
1: there'd be a really good like limited series to make. You know, when when you suggested that book, and I like I think I literally read your copy, didn't I? In, yeah. Season of Passage, and I've and, worn out uh, copies of
2: that book because
1: it's one of my favorite books of all time. I had this preconceived notion of what christopher pike was right because like we talked about i read it in the fourth grade and i'm not trying to sound like some sort of like book snob or anything you know but like when people mm-hmm. were reading things like rl stein and christopher pike i sort of like skipped all of that <clears throat> so i have no i have no um perception of what his books are Either one of them, really. Mm -hmm. And so when I set out to read that book, I was just like, "Eh, Christopher Pike, space. Like, I'm not going to like this. And then by the end of it, I was just like, could not put the fucking (laughs) book down. I was like, it's so good.
2: Yeah. So there's like weird like future and ancient history and like vampirism and like all kinds of weird shit going on in that book. And it's just all fascinating as it is scary.
1: It really is very, very good. And I mean, so again, like, like the dark tower or like Lovecraft, these are things that I need to pick up. I would love to be able to go back and read some R. L. Stein and Christopher Pike, like really short YA fiction, just because I know I could finish it in a matter of hours. If that, Mm -hmm. right. You know, and I know that people like voraciously love, those like that oeuvre of books right people have this huge nostalgia for it now and i hate being on the outside of something like that. I'm just like, well, I guess I just don't know. You know, well, <laughs> so. it also kind of felt like
2: you were getting away with something, not R.L. Stein. Right. But Christopher Pike, because he was writing adult novels, but they branded them as teenage. So some of them, a lot of them are teenage characters and stuff. And he, he got into his brand, but these people like these kids are, are literally going out and like snorting cocaine and killing one another, you know, and, and putting dead bodies in, in cars and, and, you know, dropping them off cliffs. And there's a lot of heady stuff there. And, you know also in those books and and then he goes into the actual adult novels that are much longer and much more detailed like Susan of Passage that we were just talking about you know and so i think there's a lot of gold to mine there if you go back in their quick reads
1: and isn't so flanagan is doing something with it's either pike or stein I Yeah, can't...
2: so there's a book called the midnight club and so it's a bunch of people that are there's a bunch of kids essentially you know 16 to 18 years old and they're all dying of you know cancer or some sort of terminal illness At this place. So they're all every night to kind of get over their fear of dying and everything else they're telling ghost stories, or not even necessarily ghost stories, but really macabre, weird stories. Like one of them is about ghosts and another one might be about, you know a guy going at the top of the Eiffel Tower and sniping people, you know, and so they're very varied stories, but they're basically all kind of coming together at midnight in their wheelchairs and their, you know, canes and everything else. It's like 16, 17, 18 year olds dying and telling these stories. And so all of the stories are good. Some of them are great, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if they actually do more of those stories using that format, kind of like an adult, more adult version of like, are you afraid of the dark or something where they're all sitting oh, on the okay. campfire telling these stories you know and so they could really kind of dig deeper outside of that novel to tell other Christopher Pike stories you know which I'm really excited about so
1: we'll see what happens well I think you know with Flanagan involved it's going to be good regardless right yeah we're not going
2: to get season of passage out of it you know but we might get like shortened versions of some of these other novels like monster and you know things like that
1: well and maybe someday I think if we have seen nothing from Flanagan we, we know that he uh he picks authors or subject matters or like, you know, core inspiration from certain things that he's read or experienced and he runs with it. He's made several King movies and now that he's starting doing this, I don't I don't think it's far off from him to pick something like Season of Passage and make a feature length film out of it. So if you could. Yeah. You know?
2: They give him like fifty billion dollars to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, in seventeen movies or something. Right? <laughs> So I have one more honorable mention, and it's not just one book. It's sort of a series of books, which is, again, another cop-out, which is why I put it in the honorable mentions area. But these are the Sookie Stackhouse novels written by Charlene Harris. Okay. And um, so I started reading these after having started watching True Blood, which is what the TV show is based on, these novels, right? But the novels are so good. And as much as I like that TV show – the series of novels just creates a completely different world with different characters and the storylines go in very different directions than the show does. And I mean, it's just, they're very fun, easy Southern reads, very colloquial in the way that it's written. And it's just super easy to get to them really fast. And I just, I really like the places that they went to and not to mention like these series of books are very, very queer. And I liked that too. So pick those up. They're good. Speaking of queer,
2: <laughs> I graduated to Christopher Pike from Earl Stein, and then from Christopher Pike, I graduated to Anne Rice. Uh-huh. And I have to mention her. Obviously, Interview of the Vampire, Vampire Lestat, is you know so ingrained in pop culture now that you know it's only a matter of time when we get an explosion of new TV shows or movies or something like that. You know, but my absolute favorite novel of hers is Mimnock the Devil, and Lestat actually gets like kind of taken by Satan himself or a demon or something and is shown kind of a guided tour through heaven and hell and purgatory. And, uh, and so you can, it's just like, you can tell Anne Rice is kind of struggling with her, you know, Catholic background and, and asking these really interesting questions that I never thought to ask, you know, about religion and, you know, um, you know, Christian faith and things like that. And so it's just really, really interesting when you have conversations with, you know when when you the audience are lestat a vampire (laughs) and you're having a conversation with you know satan and and christ standing around in like a a clearing you know and it's just a really interesting conversation and it's just it's so out there and different from every other novel she's ever done um it's 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 just like an incredible read so uh i
1: highly recommend that one i know that you talked about you know the series of books uh, when we discussed *Interview with the Vampire*, the movie, right? Um, would you say that you have to have read the entire series leading up to Memlock the Devil* to no. really appreciate that book? No, it's
2: kind of standalone. If you have a general idea of who Lestat is, you know the beginning of the book might be a little like what's going on, like who are these other characters. But then it's really kind of the self-guided thing. Like it would be best if you had read, you know, um, *The Vampire Lestat* and *Queen of the Damned*, mm-hmm. and then you can pretty much read most of the other books standalone in my opinion uh until the later ones but because they all kind of build but mem the the is pretty standalone it's just it would be best if you kind of understood a few of the side characters even though the vast majority of the novel is you know him kind
1: of in an altered state going through heaven hell and purgatory that's super interesting i mean that sounds like something i'd like to read very much um, an author that I haven't read in regards to that would be her son, Christopher Rice, right? Mm-hmm.
2: I've, I've read his. Have you read
1: some of his work? Yeah.
2: And he's, he's good. Um, I've only read one of his, although I own two of his books. I never read the other one, but it was really good. And I read his first, first one ever. I think it was like um, something of bones or something. My husband
1: or talks about one of his books. And I I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it took place in new orleans uh, no and it was like a hurricane it was literally describing
2: katrina like five years before katrina even happened so it was really weird Ooh, shit yeah
1: i mean so yeah like my husband talks about at least one of his novels that he liked very much and i've just never picked it up so I yeah might, I
2: yeah he probably read the same one i did but i think he also read snow garden which I think was like his second novel so i started snow garden but then i just like
1: had to put it down and i never picked it back up but anyway mm-hmm. these are things i'm adding to my list all right. So finally, and this is so horror adjacent that I couldn't, I couldn't put it in the top 10, but it is quite frankly, one of the best novels, one of my favorite novels that I've ever read. I read this in the 10th grade and it is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, And, um, it's just so, so good. It's like Gothic romance at its finest um, a woman has sort of met and married a man and she starts to realize that he has a past and the next wife who's died mysteriously and she's gone to live in their house and their housekeeper was obsessed with his like, you know, former wife. And it's just a really, really good story and a very good movie. <laughs> sounds like a sixties
2: yeah. That's what I'm saying. It sounds like a sixties psychological thriller like Hitchcock. <laughs> Apparently it was made into obviously Rebecca. Oh my god, it just clicked, I'm having a stroke. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, and then there's a new one coming out on Netflix this month. And so I'm super excited to watch it because I, I don't think that people talk about this book ever. And I don't think they talk about that movie really. And it was nominated for best picture. It's like one of the first things he ever made Hitchcock. And it's just, just a fascinating, really dark, romantic story. And I've read this several times and every time I read it or listen to it, as I have, um, it's hard to stop. It's just a really, really good story. Just like Gone with the Wind, there was a sequel book that was written by another author later on, mm-hmm. right? This is called Mrs. De Winter, and I was just like, eh, you know, for that, I, you know, just stick with Rebecca. I think if, if you're a fan of like the really dark romances i think this is really one that you should pick up and read and daphne de moyer is no stranger to other like genre fiction she essentially wrote the short story what will later become the birds another hitchcock movie. nice so yeah okay. it's just so so good
2: so the last thing i'm going to mention is all of the internet horror that we've seen over the last really 20 years and it's really just gotten more and more popularized as we go through time. But, and it's now of course coined as creepy pasta, right? A lot of it. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. what we've gotten just by like random internet authors that p- most, the vast, vast majority aren't any kind of prolific authors or, or, famous by any regard, but we've got stories like abandoned by Disney, you know, which is about a man exploring an abandoned Disney resort, you know, and, and, that finds a room marked "Character Prep One" in which the mascot seemed to be alive, right? And so you see ah. that games have been made based on that. You know, Slender Man is part of Creepypasta. Um, one of my my recent reads was Ted the Caver, and of course that was originally on an Angel Fire website back in two thousand one. But it documented the adventures of a man and his friends as they explored a local cave and what happens, and all the, all the really creepy, creepy dread that happens in that cave. And there's just so much more. Um, One of my favorites are the collections, right? So like the SCP Foundation, right, which is the um, uh, Special Containment Procedures. And so each one is like SCP-205 you know, or SCP-3002 or something like that. And it's basically the, the, the case numbers for each one of these, and each one is like a different monster or thing. There's this monster where if you even see an image, even if it's like a video clip or even just the tiniest, tiny little bit of like a finger or elbow in the picture, whether you know it or not, he will... Break out of whatever containment he's in, go across the entire world, and follow you until you die, until he rips you apart. Jesus Christ! Yeah. And so, like, there's all <laughs> these kind of stories like that. And then there's another one that's about uh, an IKEA that just, is randomly, if you enter it, uh, it has no end, and you'll be lost. So, in like a regular IKEA. Your, yeah, <laughs> but it's it's in a. But there are other things in there hunting you. And it's, uh, Oof. yeah. And so there's just a lot of them and these have been like vetted and upvoted on Reddit and things like that. And people are on YouTube and podcasts, um, putting them into spoken voice. And so you can, there's a whole podcast, I think, uh, for SCP, uh, it's called the SPC, uh, SCP foundation. And there's people reading these stories out and they're really, really good at what they do. And so if you can, you know, most of these, including that one about the, um, I guess Ted, the caver is, you know, all available in this audio format. So I would definitely recommend checking these out because some of them are the creepiest stories that I have ever heard. And some of them are by multiple, like the SCP, every single story is, I think by mostly a, like a different author, people are contributing to these mythologies and, You know, they're vetted and upvoted and turned into, you know, YouTube and podcast audio. And it's just an incredible amount of really great stuff. And so if you want to just like get creeped the fuck out, (laughs) you know, just get one of those stories and listen to it. Or read it.
1: And even more than that, have you ever watched the show Channel Zero? It used to be on sci fi, but now it's on Shudder because it's been canceled on sci fi already. And they they take a different, like, creepypasta story and sort of flesh it out over, like, six to ten episodes. Oh, interesting. And they're very, very scary, right? And, like, sometimes I'll listen to, like, the No Sleep podcast, but it's just, like, far too horrifying for me sometimes. Like, they are very, very scary. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And a lot of those stories come from these. Most of them, I would say, come from internet horror, you know, or even short stories that are published. But most of them are like these, you know, sometimes like copyright free, just like internet public, public use stories that people are just submitting. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. You know, you don't see that really in, you know, this level of community and writing and appreciate, you know, and appreciation, because these are horror fans that are, you know, vetting these. And so it's just some of it is just like the best of the best. And it's, uh, it's really, really good.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I I, I really think that that is where the future of sort of like horror fiction is going to go at this point. Yeah, people are still reading novels, right? But I think that, you know, the amount of people who are actually picking up actual books these days is very slim. A lot of people have their Kindle, they have their, their Audible. And even now at the library, you can get just like random, you know, like Kindle books to read. And if people are writing their own short fiction online and posting it, like that's pretty much where the future is going to be, you know? God bless you, Reddit, for scaring me into the night. I will sometimes go to like, we should never meet subreddit about like random encounters with like ridiculous people. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not sleeping at night. Like, <laughs> yep. I'm pretty satisfied with my top 10. Obviously there are a lot of horror novels that I have loved over the years that I, you know, I'm happy to talk about. So if you have some favorite horror books, or, you know, some recommendations for things that we haven't talked about, send them our way. You can do that on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at TiredQueens at
2: FilmFlamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Call in and let us know what you think of some of these books or media that we've mentioned
1: and uh, give us some recommendations of your own. And if you really loved this episode or past episodes and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, head over and give us a five-star review a little snippet of why you like us we're going to read that on shooting the flames it really helps our podcast out quite a bit and head over to patreon where you can get all of these episodes sometimes a tad early sometimes a
2: lot early as well as our bonus episodes one of which we have put a poll out for for foreign language horror film in honor of our deep dive into terrified this
1: month so uh, if you're a patron or want to be a patron go over there and vote that's right Uh, there's a lot of good movies on that list. I think we're happy to watch all of them. You just have to choose it for us. So head over and do that and join the community over on Patreon. Well, I think I need to go pick up one of these books that you've mentioned to me, or at least like scour Audible and see which one I can listen to the fastest. Oh, you don't
2: have to go to Audible. You can just go to any free YouTube channel or podcast and listen (laughs) to your merriment.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, enjoy your spooky season, listeners. Pick up a book and read it. Literacy is good. (laughs) (laughs) The more you know. Dong, (laughs) dong, (laughs) dong. Well, until the next episode, everybody. When we terrify you.
2: Sweet dreams. But before we go. Here's Hey Pretty, the drive-by remix, the song by singer-songwriter Poe from her album Haunted, inspired by her brother's novel House of Leaves, Robert's First Recommendation. Enjoy! <laughs> Carrie
0: suggested we go for a drive in her new two-door BMW coupe. In the parking lot, we slipped into her bucket seats. Kiri took over from there. At nearly 90 miles per hour, she zipped us up to that windy edge known to some as Mulholland, a sinuous road running the ridge of the Santa Monica Mountains, where she then proceeded to pump her vehicle in and out of turns, sometimes dropping down to 50 miles per hour, only to immediately gun it back up to 90 again. Fast, slow, fast, fast, slow. Sometimes a wide turn, sometimes a quick one She preferred the tighter ones The sharp, controlled jerk Swinging left to right before driving back to the right Only so she could do it all over again Until after enough speed and enough wind And more distance than I'd been prepared to expect Taking me to parts of this city I rarely think of and never visit I heard her say Hey, pretty. I can't remember the inane things I started babbling about then. I know it didn't really matter, she wasn't listening. She just yanked up on the emergency brake, dropped her seat back, and told me to lie on top of her. On top of those leather pants of hers, her hands immediately guiding mine over those soft, slightly oily folds. Positioning my fingers on the shiny metal tab, small and round like a tear. Then murmuring a murmur so inaudible that even though I could feel her lips tremble against my ear, she seemed far, far away pinch it she said which i did lightly until she also said pull it which i also did gently parting the teeth one at a time down under and beneath the longest unzipping of my life never even kissed or looked into each other's eyes. Our lips just trespassed on those inner labyrinths hidden deep within our ears, filled them with the private music of wicked words, hers in many languages, mine in the off-color of my only tongue. Two bad dark languages rarely survive. <laughs>